Hello, podcast listeners. You are listening to another episode of The Long Journey Home. Another news-oriented episode. I'm your host, Corbin Johnson. Uh, how's everyone doing on this Wednesday, January 8th, 2013? Well, uh, we've got a lot of stuff going on, and uh, let's just hop into it. Let's get started with the news. Our chairman himself, Charlie Plain, will be doing an article, uh, article group or article series, that's the word I'm looking for, if you will, called Hindsight, and the article today was called Hindsight, a Design Reflection, Uh, and this is an interesting idea. It's going to be a year-long series of articles where he will pick an expansion from first edition or second edition. And go through them one week at a time, uh, it seems, at least for the first month, they'll be a week at a time. And just reevaluate each expansion using modern design philosophies. Now, this is an interesting idea, because um, if you look at each uh, affiliation, uh, I'm sorry, each expansion, you'll find that the game really does evolve quite a bit as, the, as time goes on. And it's going to be interesting to kind of see, um, kind of think about what Decipher was doing during their design and see kind of what's going on now and I, I'm wondering maybe Charlie will he says he doesn't want to rewrite he said here that uh, he's not going to be redesigning the game obviously no third edition here but what will be interesting to see is if he decides to add to the sets themselves and start to come up with you know why didn't Decipher do this maybe we should have done it this way you know, and I think that will be really interesting so keep an eye out for that. His first set, his first article will be on 1E Premiere starting January 13th, the week of January 13th. Then he moves on to Premiere 2E the week of January 20th, Alternate Universe the week after that, and then Energize, and then we'll see what happens. Alrighty. There are new printable cards. So there are six new cards that are now printable that weren't printable before. And... Typically, you'll get a whole set of nine plus any regional promos or whatnot. But since uh, since there was no promo set this this last six months ago, or was it? I'm sorry, a year ago. So because we reprinted the set before it, um, yeah. So we uh, only got six cards. But uh, we've got stolen ship, uh, fed border from the skies of the limit, Ferengi infestation, the regional card. Uh, so that's going to be nice to have extra copies of that. That's a good dilemma. Two security, strength greater than 50. Uh, I don't see a lot of Ferengi downloading happening with it, but I think that that's another viable strategy for the card that's not easily used. We've got Kamala, the size of limit. Uh, plays the thing. That's an interesting card. Um, when, uh, when, when, relative, uh, when Matter of Time came out, I went on eBay and bought two copies of this guy of of the plays the thing because I thought it was going to be more necessary to run relativity, but nah, it turned out not to be. Uh, but then uh, it's interesting because the next day they were all sold out on eBay. So if you were having problems getting your hands on a copy, now you can just print out a copy. Uh, backroom dealings. It's going to be printable now and 100 reverse for triples. The best part about that 100 reverse is now we are 
I, I, I think I said a few weeks ago that, or a few months ago that triples is now completely printable. That is not true. 100 reverse we were waiting on, and I believe the last card remaining is one bonus. So maybe that'll be uh, this year's regional promo. Who knows? So we shall see what comes uh, for triples. It'll be very interesting to see what happens when we have a fully printable, fully virtual, basically deck-building game designed uh, for you know Star Trek. It would be great. All right, that is it for the news. We are going to move on to the top five. Top five cards from Q Continuum. Now, this was an interesting set. Um, this set was full of just Decipher, I think, trying to expand the game in a really interesting way. Um, a lot of kind of, you got androids going on. You've got uh, got some non-aligned guys in there. A lot of weird ones that did side deck manipulation, and um, not too many feds. You got Juliana Tainer. Um, you got the navigation uh, chick, and I've uh, got some Romulan love. You got uh, Klingon's got a little bit in here. Not much. And, yeah, you can see Decipher was trying to, you know, they, they introduced the Q's tent in there, and they introduced Q-Flash, and, uh, you know, those were two really important cards for the game, especially Q's tent. But, um, yeah, let's, let's just go through the top five here, and we'll talk about the set as we go. So number five is Q's Planet. Now, Q's Planet, that's, uh, no one plays with that, right? It's, it was an incredibly important card. It was a new, this was a way for players with by playing Q's Tent to effectively seed an artifact uh, or a dilemma that you could use and just uh, acquire very quickly. And uh, it's it, it was a way to prolong the game because you needed an additional 40 points to win now. And it just was an amazingly compact, weird card um, that... The cipher came out with, and I don't know what else to say about it. It just was an amazing card, really. So um, now it's it's definitely cheesy, and you know I'd say a lot of cheese. If anything, this was probably the cheesiest card that was made um, by then. I, I don't really know. I mean, um, kind of reverse engineer the game and look at it and go, okay, well, Q's Planet is definitely a pretty cheesy card. So. Um, number four, we can go with Universal Space. Now, this card has gotten a lot of attention recently, obviously, but uh, this was, you know, you could give up one of your mission slots to either prolong the space line or, um, I mean, you could, you could bump the span up on Universal Space to, I guess, well, five is what the glossary says, but I don't know if originally people played with more of these and tried to kind of isolate themselves. I'm not really sure um, what the design intent was here. Let me just get Charlie's take on this card. Uh, hopefully he will talk about it when he does his article set. But I think it's an important card just because it expands what you could do in this game. And it, it definitely came up with a lot of like cheesy decks and it still does. So it's, it's an important card, and it definitely deserves a spot on the top five because it is a, it's a very unique card as well. 
Number three is the Zalconian storage capsule. Uh, an event that when you played it, you could put cards from your hand under it. And this was just kind of uh, decipher, you know, started to, I think players were starting to say, hey, how, I, I need a certain card in my deck. Uh, help me find that card. So, well, here's an answer. You, you've got the Q stand, right? But then you've also got Zalconian's storage device. You play it, and you can start putting cards under it on your turn. And if it gets destroyed, the cards go back to your hand. But it was just I, a way to, somewhere to place cards for a while while you um, just, you didn't need it now, you wanted it later. Um, I, you know, now that I think about it, I'm not sure if players used it in that way. You can download from it too, which is kind of cool. Um, but yeah, it, it's a very interesting card. Um, and it's it's still out there. I don't think anyone plays with it though, but uh, it was just an interesting card. Uh, number two, Q Flash. Q, Q Flash. Um, this card is was really kind of fun, but annoying. Mandarin Bailiff and just, you know, with it, you got this whole side deck of dilemmas or it, it, it definitely lengthened the game, I'd imagine, for some players. You hit a Q flash and then you're, you're, you're almost guaranteed to hit Penalty Box, Mandarin Bailiff, and His Honor, maybe. Um, maybe not. And, you know, we're talking about point reduction. We're talking about capturing a couple guys. And it, it was just kind of a... It, it prolonged the mission segment of the game, the, the hitting this. And I mean, I imagine even then still, you still had many, many dilemmas. You weren't seeding cards like you were as you were later in the game. You were seeding a Q-Tent, a Q-Flash, and then an Outpost, and you have 27 cards left. You're definitely going to be putting a Flash in there because of the possible things you can do. So uh, this changed the game, essentially. Uh, I can't imagine players not playing with this, to be honest. I don't know, you know, if there were dilemmas that were any better than, you know, hitting a Mandarin Bailiff, hitting a penalty box, and all that. And it, it just changed the game to be completely different. Uh, number one is Q's Tent, and I think that kind of goes without saying, just because of the whole idea of getting to put your cards somewhere and letting them uh, have, letting you basically have a way to have access to your tent and cards early in the game that you might not normally have otherwise. So definitely an important card and so important that almost every deck contains a copy of this card uh, to this day, unless it's Q's Tent Civil War. So that's the top five for today. Uh, all right. Uh, we did not find anything interesting on the forums. I mean, I, I guess, uh, well, no, not nothing interesting in the forums right now. So. Uh, let's move on to the Philosophy of Trek segment. Alright, well this is definitely going to be a very philosophical discussion. Uh, I thought before we do uh, this segment though, I just listened to the discard pile um, just today, and wow, what a fantastic show. I, I'm really... Excited to hear more from John Corbett, and I think he did a fantastic job of getting TUI experts together and just discussing really things that we don't really hear about that much on Section 31, or even, and no offense, uh, assimilate this. This was just 
three really intelligent people talking about a very in-depth game and problems with it, things like our discard pile stale, is Tui good, what are you going to do about nationals, and I, if you can take the, the crudity of the show, which is really fun as well, then you're going to find a lot of interesting information about the game in here, and uh, so definitely go check it out, it's on his YouTube channel, if you do a search for the discard pile, you should be able to find it in YouTube. All right, today's philosophy of Trek segment, uh, segment. Uh, we're going to compare draw engines to ship engines. Ah, now that, here's, <laughs> talk about pulling stuff, uh, right. Um, in Trek, if you want to draw a card that isn't your normal card draw, especially in 1E, um, you now Tui's kind of a special baby there, but let's stick to 1E for just a minute here. You can seed cards like, I, I think it all started kind of with, well, card, the, the first original card drawing engine was the Traveler Transcendence. Uh, you would play that and you would draw a card at the end of each turn. And this would offset, hopefully, any missing card draws you'd get from Static Warp Bubble and TAC. And then there's also Kivasvajo Collector, and all these events were very popular and very useful, and remain so even into um, later years of Star Trek. And then draw engines started to become, I think we didn't really see any more draw engines until mm, uh, Deep Space Nine. You start to see Processor and, uh, not, mm, you can't really think of anything else that was a huge draw engine. Um, between all of these sets. Uh, you look at Dominion, Deep Space Nine, you look at Bog, not a lot of draw engines going on. Um, the next time we start to see a draw engine was, uh, let's see, in Trouble Tri oh, I'm sorry, I forgot about uh, uh, Visit Cochrane Memorial. Uh, that, that was a draw engine of sorts. Um, you could use to some degree uh, plans of the Tal Shiar and uh, the Obsidian Order one, but th those weren't really technically uh, draw engines. They would just allow you to exchange cards out, you know, certain cards that you didn't need at this time. You maybe you need them later. Um, and then, well, yeah, so um, there was kind of cheesier draw engines where you could play some guys for free. Uh, use space-time portal to draw those, put those guys in your hand, and then use a Masaka transformation to shuffle all those guys back in the deck, or to the bottom, and then draw an equal number of cards. And, you know, it's cheesy stuff like that that was definitely around. But the first, like, really brain-dead simple draw engine that came out that I could think of is Ancestral Vision. You seed this, you put a guy on the planet, you draw a card. Or two, if it's freaking Chakotay. So, huh, that's, that's just some easy draws right there. Um, and then it just got worse, really, from their holodeck adventures. You're looking at um, Bajoran Resistance Cell. You're looking at uh, the Office of Dixon Hill, which are incredibly powerful. And you just seed them, and they work. It's fantastic. I mean, is it good for the game? I don't know. But we've kind of kept this mentality as the continuing committee 
has gone on and we've made the drone control room and oh there was temporal shifting from the enterprise collection and there's war council for you know play and draw three cards if you have three treachery available and it was just you know drawing has become exponent not exponent i suppose exponentially easier as time goes on because i'm really blanking on any sort of draw engines that existed before uh, the ancestral vision i mean i've named a couple but so draw engines have, have definitely become you know there's more of them they're more prevalent and you know let's not even get started about uh continuing mission uh wow yeah and then surprise party and all that and and it's just become a lot easier so how do we compare this to ship engines well um there's definitely in this idea of in star trek of ships getting faster as time progresses right you've got the uh, original enterprise kirk's enterprise has a different warp scale but you know um if you look <laughs> i'm a nerd uh, i'm really nerdy when it came to this but i went into memory alpha i looked up a warp was it uh the warp chart and if you look left and right um in star trek there is contradiction after contradiction after contradiction of what one warp speed means compared to another or even the same warp speed to another uh, it's assumed that the that warp you know 10 in the original series was a static number not you are in all places at once in the universe and then in TNG that became a thing but then it's also assumed that when Riker says warp 13 and all good things that that was him talking about a new warp scale but it's an assumption it was never like oh the new warp scale warp 13 right uh, was it Riker or was it Picard Beverly Picard who said that I don't know not really important um, but definitely there's this idea of Kirk's Enterprise was slower than Picard's was slower than uh, maybe was slower than uh, Riker's future Enterprise and, uh, and 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 the Defiant was fast you know Voyager was 9.975, right? Maximum warp speed. So ships get more efficient as time goes on. And then you look at Archer's, you know, he, he was a strict warp 5 engine and not going any faster than that. And, and not to go on too much of a rant, but as I've been watching Enterprise, it's really interesting to see, you know, you look at Next Gen and the Enterprise was always like just a... You know, they're, they're being followed by the Borg on their way to Wolf 359 or, or from Wolf 359 to Earth, and they're barely able to match the speed. Can you imagine if Archer's Enterprise was in this situation? I mean, him with his Warp 5, there's no chance he would have never stood up. But, you know, it's, it's all dramatic, but you look at the original, some of these Enterprise episodes, and it's like they're being pursued by ships that were, like, Warp 4.5 and to their Warp 5, and then there's sometimes that the, the other ship is Warp 6, so is it like the whole galaxy has the same, like, almost nearly same warp speeds? It's kind of interesting. The Borg, right, we learn later on that they don't need warp speed. They've got transwarp, right, in Voyager, which makes that whole best of both worlds thing completely ridiculous. But um, so, so it's, it's just kind of interesting that um, within a show, the universe tends to have certain properties that make it work okay which is also getting off on a very wild rant. But here's the similarity, right? As the game progressed, 
draw engines got easier and better and faster. And I, I, that's a conviction that is definitely true. Whereas in Star Trek, they did the exact same thing. Now, maintaining a draw engine, um, I think is also kind of, um, you always need like a dedicated crew, right? You need someone to keep an eye on the draw engine and, uh, or on the ship engine and you've got engineering and the captain's always gonna want someone to like push the engines to be on their limit. In, in the card game, there, there was some notion of needing to maintain the engine, and Decipher tried to do this. Um, now, initially, they kind of failed. The Traveler Transcendence, no, it doesn't matter. You just put it on table, it works just fine. And Cubist Fudger Collector, you just use it once, it works just fine. And then you go, but then VCM, right? Now you're starting to have to put some resources towards this, and especially later on in the game. Um, you had to uh, use a different guy each time you probed with ECM. Oh, and there's promenade shops too, right? You know, you gotta leave a guy there. You wanna, you wanna do some processing or you gotta leave a guy there. And then that sort of stuff just, um, you're always having to leave someone there to kind of keep an eye on the draw engine. And that's fine. It's thematic and it's fun. And it, it, it helps the game. And it is kind of just like in the TV show that, you, you got to keep someone, uh, you got to keep an eye on it. And this is, I think maybe Decipher had some idea of cost, build, trying to build cost into the game. Uh, we'll give you this, but you got to, you not only are you going to spend a seat on this, but you're going to spend some of your plays on this and dedicate them to this full time. So, oh, um, yeah. And so there's some similarities there. And what else? So, uh, we've even got now an icon in in the game. We've got the warp core icon. We've got the reactor core icon. It's almost as if we're telling players, literally, these are play and draw engines. They are engines, right? Because they have an icon of an engine on it. And that's fine. Um, it's, it's a little bit of spoon feeding, but that's fine. And it, it, hopefully it helps anyone trying to come into the game. And I think that's a top priority right now. Um, Neil Timmons on the discard pile said that North America high-level play has lost 40% of its player's base since uh, last year, I guess 2012. Or maybe it's just over the five years um, that the CC's been around. Uh, either way, that's a huge number, 40%, and he was very alarmed about it. So if anything, that kind of says to me, Maybe it's time we start spoon-feeding things. Maybe it's time we make this game a lot more simpler than it's ever been. Now, does that mean we need a third edition? Does that mean we need to dump cards down? Does that mean we need new cards that are easy to understand? I think the third option I presented there, we just need new cards that are easy to understand. Um, and allow, oh, we, we don't want to abandon the current player base. We want the current player base to feel welcome and excited and and we want we want to challenge the players that are already there but we also want to say oh it's okay this is a friendly environment for new players do we want new players winning tournaments maybe but we do want them to at least win games we want them to come to a tournament and win a game even against some crazy deck that they've never played against before and don't know what the heck's going on we want to make sure that players feel welcome and invited into playing the game. 
And if we have to make easy to use engine cards that are literally engines, this is an engine card, then that's what we have to do. And um, I, I'd be curious to see if there are statistics to back up that newer players are coming and they're liking the game more. I mean, definitely for my player base, I've got an OTF tournament on Sunday. And I'm, you know, I'm going to be building decks for 2E players, but at least they're coming to play. I don't care if they're building their own decks. I'll build them decks. You know, that's fine. I just want people to come play. Because if they weren't coming, the 1E player base here is small enough that you need, you need the stars to align to get everyone to come at the same time. So without their support in playing with us, we just wouldn't have a tournament. So, yeah, um, we kind of talked about how the ship engines and the draw engines all play into each other and how just how important draw engines are to the game in general. And, of course, in the show, if there's no engines, there's no ship, right? TNG originally, apparently, the whole idea was maybe instead of a ship, we'll just beam to where we're going. Now, guess who made that mistake in one of his movies that just came out recently? JJ. Uh, <clears throat> so, uh, Transwarp Transporters, you know... We don't need a ship anymore. I, I think it was best said in um, was it a, one of the YouTube videos. It was either Honest Trailers or it was how it should have ended. Uh, I'm pretty sure it was Honest Trailers. But the, the best part was like, oh, didn't you hear? Uh, your five-year mission got canceled. Well, why? Uh, because we don't need starships anymore and maintaining them and all that. Because we can beam everywhere. And then they beam old Spock and he's like, kill me. And then, hit it, right, they go... Um, Oh, and, and didn't you hear? Death is irrelevant now because because of the magic Khan blood that uh, that Bones discovered in Khan. So uh, Jack Spock, and he's like, oh, God, I'm stumped back. Um, so anyway, to, that's a huge rant, but you're not going anywhere. You know, so eventually TNG said, no, 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 we need a ship. Without the ship, what's the point? Um, and Deep Space Nine kind of, right? You know, you're at a station. I think we don't need a ship. We can do this without a ship. And then, like, every episode's about a, round, a, ra uh, a runabout, right? And then uh, you get the Defiant in Season 3. We're well, a very good ship, you know. All right, fine, fine. We'll get a ship. So Star Trek is, is ships. Without the ship, the ship is a character, and the ship is an important character. And, you know, ships have engines, and you have to have engines to get anywhere. And people, you know, that's one of the fun things, right, about Star Trek is it's always about, um, it's not hard science, it's not hard sci-fi, obviously, but the idea is rooted in some real science. Combine antimatter and matter, you get propulsion, you get energy and you get propulsion from it. Um, so, a long rant about why ship engines are a lot like draw engines. So it's just important to think about both of the, think about, think about draw engines and just how exponentially easier they've gotten over time. And maybe it's made the game better. Uh, it's always interesting, you know, the draw three, play three philosophy for 1E is, is out there. And we didn't even talk about second edition draw engines. They exist, but uh, just like uh, John Corbett was saying on the discard pile, what's there other than these are the voyages, right? And you know, what if you took out, this is an idea from, I think, Nick, take out Julian Bashir, take out Guy, uh, not Guy, but Loxana, and keep these are the voyages in, what would happen? You know, you might see a whole new game. Would we go back to smaller decks, maybe? You know, it would be an interesting thing. Um, and then, so, so, if you want to compare 2E draw engines to ship engines, 
I, I don't really know where to go with that. The draw engines in TUI are few and far between. Uh, some of them are really interesting, but sometimes it's okay to just draw a bunch of cards. You lose a bunch of counters and by converting them into draws, and then you just need to mine your deck for just a certain card, and that's how it goes. It's a little bit rougher, a little darker. You know, you're kind of sitting at home, not doing much until you get exactly what you need. So, and so TUI is different in that way. Anyway, I think I've gone on long enough about this topic. If you have questions, comments, or concerns, feel free to give me a call at 267-CALL-CPJ. This is an open podcast. If you have anything interesting you want to contribute to this show, call that number or send me an email at corbinjohnson at me.com. That's corbinjohnson at me.com with an audio file of about two to five minutes of whatever you want to talk about, and I'll try to feature it on an upcoming episode of The Long Journey Home. Next time, I did promise I would talk about the promos from... Uh, this up uh, latest promo set and I think I, uh, it'd be kind of fun to talk about them so uh, let's do that next time uh, tomorrow's show alright this is Corbin Johnson signing off saying so long and thanks for all the trek this podcast is released under a Creative Commons attribution non-commercial share alike 3.0 unported license to find out more about that license visit creativecommons.org slash licenses slash by dash nc dash sa slash 3.0 our theme music is space ace by mark teichert other songs included are inspiration and mission briefing by mark teichert our outro song is teleporter by dungeon kimura you can find out more about these artists at jamendo.com j-a-m-e-n-d-o.com And each of those is released under the same or similar Creative Commons licenses as this podcast.